Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today, and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. A couple weeks ago, we started a series that we just called Double Down. And so, um, you know, we talked about the things that, you know, when, you're, when you step out to do something by faith, when you step out to follow what, what the Lord's instructed you to do, uh, then sometimes you're challenged. You're challenged on those uh, on those issues, and you're challenged on that thing, and, and, and the temptation exists to give up and to quit. Anybody ever been there? All right. Well, see, here's the thing. That shouldn't, quitting should not be our response. You know, quitting really should never become a, a, a possible option. When the Lord's given you an instruction giving you something to do, quitting is, is not how, it's not the way to deal with it. It's not how you deal with that situation. And so you say, well, well, what do you do? Well, what you do is you double down. Praise God. And so, uh, you know, there are some things that we made a decision that we were going to do as a church. And, uh, you know, when when we were faced with a, with a pandemic in our nation and we were faced with a situation of, of uh, for a while we weren't able to have uh, uh, services open to the public and then we went to 25% capacity. Now we're at 40% capacity that we're permitted to have. But, uh, you know, uh, we're a missions church. We... Uh, historically have traveled the world preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and uh, working on a, uh, a foreign mission field. Right now, uh, that's, that's not even something we can do because uh, it's not just the, the U.S. government that um, is, uh, is challenging us on that, but also the government of the countries where we go to work. Their borders are closed, and you know, and they're they're not permitting uh, outsiders in, and so uh, what do we do? Well, we double down. Sometimes doubling down find, means that you find another way to do what you've been called to do. Praise God! But you don't quit. You look for another way to do it, and Holy Spirit, you know, His wisdom will give you, you know, something that, that we pray for is divinely inspired ideas. The word inspired means breathe. All scripture is given by inspiration. A literal translation of that verse is all scripture is God breathed. And so when, when we um, look for divinely inspired ideas, we're looking for ideas that are God Breathe, and when you when you exhale, your breath comes out of the inside of you, and so divinely inspired ideas come out of the inside of God. They, they are breathed into us from God. Praise God! And so, um, one of the things that you know, as I begin to look at this and, and think about this idea of doubling down. One of the things that we set out to do around here was to correct God's reputation. How many know that God has 
a reputation that it didn't, it's not his reputation, it's not a reputation that, that he built for himself, but it is a, re- a reputation that uninformed and unlearned men have, have created for him. Did you know that you can actually, you can you say, well, that person has a bad reputation. Well, is that reputation because of something they did or is it because of something somebody said they did? You know, and, and a lot of times a person, with their reputation may not have anything to do with what they did. It may have entirely to do with what somebody else said they did. And, uh, you know, so God has been uh, inaccurately represented and he has a reputation which is not the greatest reputation. But it's not because of what he did because he's only good. Praise God. And if his reputation was based entirely on what he has done, he has a, a, a flawless reputation. Praise God. But his reputation has to do with things that people Mostly, let me say it this way, I'm not even talking about unbelievers. I'm talking about people who name the name of Christ, people who, who confess Christianity, people who are, let me say it this way, religious people have given God a bad reputation. And so I, we have set out to correct his reputation. Now, that's not an easy thing to do because when people have a certain idea in their head about something, a lot of times it's really difficult to change that image and that vision that they have in their mind about something, particularly when it comes to their view of God and their, their beliefs about God. And so they're, they're, um, you know, when it comes to correcting that wrong reputation, then you run into some people who want to butt heads with you about it. And, uh, uh, you know, and they want to say, well, that's, that, that's not right. You're, you know, you're wrong because this is the way we've always believed it. And this is the way, you know, and they usually have some scriptures to quote that they believe back up their position. But, uh, uh, we want to, uh, correct the wrong things that have been said about Father God. Praise God. Now, I, I, uh, I put down some, some things here, some reputations. I actually got this from a book I was reading. Uh, and, and so these are not things I came up with on my own, but, uh, but they were very good things that, uh, you know, reputations that God has uh, unjustly attributed to him, but, but nonetheless, things that people believe about God. And, uh, you know, I don't have time to address all of these today, but we're going to address some of them. And so let me go through some of these things that people believe about God. First of all, there are many people who believe that God is the hair trigger God. Now, what do you mean by hair trigger? I mean, you know, he's just ready to go off at any second. Any moment, he is ready to explode on you. And uh, uh, God has been viewed that way in the mind of so many people, but that view of him did not come from the Bible. In fact, here's what the Bible says about this. And because we've got so many here, I'm not going to go into to teaching on every single one of these, but I want to give you at least one scripture on the ones that I, that I take time and talk about today. Um, in Psalm 103, verse number 8, it says this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow. Everybody say it like this. Slow. Because I want you to get that in your mind. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. He is slow to anger, abounding in mercy. See, if we want to know what God's really like, 
we need to go to the Word of God and find out what He said in His own Word that He is like. See, there are a lot of people that have invented their own God because they think that this is the way a God should be. In their mind, well, this is, this is how a God would be. This is, you know, this, this is my view of what I think a God should be like. And so, therefore, since he's God, he must be like this. And they, they believe that he's just ready to go off. And all you have to do is make one mistake. And uh, I used to hear it taught like this, that, that a lot of people thought God was sitting up in heaven with a ball-peen hammer in one hand and a lightning bolt in the other hand. And, you know, and that he was going to get you with one or the other if you messed up. He is slow to anger. Praise God. Praise God. You know, how much respect do we have for people that they have no control over their temper whatsoever? They just explode at the slightest little thing. You know, nobody wants to be around that person. Nobody wants to, uh, you know, they, they don't want to associate with that person. Um, they don't want to work with that person. They, they just don't want to be around that person at all because, you know, if you're around them sooner or later, he's going to explode on you. And so you avoid that person. Do you think maybe that explains why some people don't want to come to the Lord? Why some people don't want to come to, to Christ? Because they have viewed him as being the hair trigger God. What about this one? The divine manipulator. The divine manipulator. Now... What, what do I mean by a divine manipulator? Well, of course, he's divine, but, but manipulator, well, that's a person that, uh, that tries to, to change circumstances and change positions and, you know, and, and uh, to, to cause other people to see it their way. And, you know, it is somebody, if they give you something, there is always a string attached to it that they can pull that string whenever they see fit to do so. And, and many people see God that way that he is the divine manipulator, that everything he ever does for us, there is a string attached to it. You know, the manipulator never does anything for you because they love you. What they do for you, they do because they love themselves. What they do for you, they do because they're wanting something from you. They may not want it today or tomorrow, but at some point they'll remind you of what they did for you so they can pull that string and get what they want. And a lot of people see God as the divine manipulator. That, oh yes, he's, he blesses us. He gives us good things. He provides for us. But it is always with a string attached. I mean, you, you see that? How many have ever, have, have ever uh, uh, you know, known people that thought God was like that? Maybe you used to think God was like that. Maybe you still do. If you do, let, let's change our mind today. Let, let's repent. Let's begin to see the God that he's not a divine manipulator. See, Jesus came, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John three sixteen, that whoever believes upon him would not perish but have everlasting life. So what God did in giving his own son was not about him. It was about you. Praise God. He gave his son because he loves you. Hallelujah. Now, let's get this. In Luke chapter 6, verse number 35, it says, 
But love your enemies, do good, and notice this, lend hoping for nothing in return. Now, Jesus is teaching the people this, you know, teaching his disciples and those that were listening to his teaching. He was teaching them this. He said, lend hoping for nothing in return. And so one thing I learned is that if Jesus said you need to do a certain thing a certain way, then you can mark it down that that's his way of doing things. He does things that way. He doesn't tell you to do things one way that is contrary to the way he does things. So in other words, if God gives, he gives, what did it say there? Hoping for nothing in return. In other words, God's not going to wake you up in the middle of the night and say, well, I gave, uh, I, I blessed you, aren't you going to pay me back? Don't you owe me something? You know, God's not calling you on the phone saying, hey, you know, you owe me 50 bucks. Your friend might do that, but that's not how God does things. God gave his only begotten son because he so loved you. Praise God. His love was his only motivation for doing that. Your well-being was his only motivation for doing that. Praise God. Not his well-being. Do you know that if nobody ever gave their life to Christ, if nobody ever accepted Jesus as their Savior, you know what? He's still God, and he still, uh, is, he, he still lives in heaven. And heaven's a pretty wonderful place. He doesn't really need, in that sense, he doesn't need you to give him something. He doesn't need you to do something for him. And if he asks you to do something, the only reason he asks you to do something is because it's for your well-being, for your benefit to do it, not for his. He's still God. He's still in heaven. He still has a good, uh, you know, he's got everything he needs there. He's in comfort. He's at peace. You know, he is still who he is if you never respond to what he did. It is in your best interest if you do respond, and he did it for you. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that you would not perish. Not for him to get something, but he did it so that you would not perish, but have everlasting life. Praise God. Love your enemies. Do good. Lend, hoping for nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For, notice this, he is kind to the unthankful and evil. He is kind to the unthankful and evil. Now, isn't that a terrible reputation that God only does something for you because he wants something back? Now, I'm really not going to talk about this one much today. We may come back next week and talk about this one. Uh, You know, so I'm just going to just name this one. But, uh, and, and you can think about this on your own, but many people see God as, as the jealous God. The jealous God. You know, he doesn't want you to, to get too much attention. He doesn't want you to, to, to do too well to succeed. He doesn't want, you know... This is God as the jealous God. Let's go to the next one. The next one is, and, and this one I had to, had to read a little bit and find out what the, this author of this book was talking about, the, the rock star God. Well, what, what's, what's the rock star God? That, that's what I had to find out. What is he talking about, the rock star God? And, and so um, in Psalm 103, verse number 7, He made known his ways to Moses 
and his acts to the children of Israel. Now, that, that gives us a little bit of a clue as to what we're talking about here. The rock star God. You, you see, people, why do people want to be around celebrities? Is it because they're truly interested in knowing that person? Is it because they're truly interested in, in, in getting to know the heart of that person? No. You know, well, I got my picture taken and got the autograph of a celebrity. Well, what are you, why are you telling somebody that? Why are you showing, oh, I got so-and-so's autograph? Was it because you wanted to know that person's heart, or was it for bragging rights for yourself? You know, I got so-and-so's signature, their, their autograph. You know, I am not interested, you know, e even, even celebrities that they don't even really like. Just because they're a celebrity, they want their autograph. It's really not because they're interested in, in that person's heart and knowing what that person's all about and getting to know them in a, in a personal way if they do want to know them in a personal way so they can brag about it. Well, you see, here's the thing that... that um, Let's look at the other side of that. What what does the what is the the rock star? Why do they uh, you know why do they want to be the rock star? Why do they want to be the celebrity? Why do they want to be famous? Why do people want to be famous? Because they want people to want to be near them. You know, they, they want the crowd, the adoring fans, they want, you see, and God is not the rock star. Praise God. In Psalm 103, we just read that, but let's look at it again. He made known his ways to Moses. Do you realize Moses wanted more? He said he made known his or, or the children of Israel saw his acts. They saw his performance. They saw the thing that he did. But Moses got to know his ways. Which do you want? Do you want to know his ways? Or are you happy just to see what he does? Philippians chapter 2. Notice this, verse 7. But he made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So what, what did he do there? It says he made himself of no reputation. He took upon himself the form of a bondservant. Jesus, God in flesh, God made flesh, came and dwelt among us. You know, I, I got to think if I had been, if I'd been Jesus, you know, the pre-incarnate Jesus and I'm considering coming to this earth, you know, I, I would not have come at that time in history. I mean, I'm just thinking, you know, this is how I would have maybe been thinking. That I wouldn't have come at that time in history. Why? Because you had to walk or ride a, a, a donkey or something like that anytime you wanted to go somewhere. You had no air conditioning in the Middle East. You know, I'd have been thinking about, let, let's wait and, can't you see Jesus before the Father, the Father says, you know, I want to send you into the world. And Jesus says to the Father, he says, you know, can we wait until they invent air conditioning? Can, can we maybe wait until, uh, you know, they have, they have cars and airplanes and, 
you know, holiday ends, and and can we can we maybe wait till a better time in history to go when it'd be a little more comfortable? See, he took upon himself the form of a bond servant, and he came at a time in history when life was very difficult, and he identified with us. He became what we were. Praise God. He didn't do it for the creature comforts. He did it for you. Praise God. Praise God. Now, he made himself no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Praise God. So, you know, do adoring fans at a celebrity event, do they want to get to know the roadies? No. Do, do they want to get to know the person taking the tickets at the door? Do they want to get to know the person who is, who, who is walking around outside in the foyer or the concert hall with a broom and a dustpan and, and a mop to clean up after somebody that, that, uh, that messes things up? You know, do, do they, uh, do people want to get to know that person? No, they want to get to know the rock star, but they want to know the rock star not because they really care about the rock star, but they want to get to know them because of their celebrity. You know, God's not the rock star. He, he's not trying to get your attention to his, hey, I'm God. Don't you want to know me? You know, hey, see that sunset last night? I'm the one that painted that. You know, if God wants, don't you think that the God who painted the sunset could have put his signature on there if he had so desired to do so? Why did he create that sunset? So you could enjoy it. He didn't create that sunset to draw attention to himself, although we can see his handiwork and our attention is drawn to him. If we know where it came from and we know that he's the creator, then we certainly, our attention is certainly drawn to him, but that's not why he did it. He did it without the signature just so you could enjoy it. Praise God. Praise God. Now, what about this one? The offensive God. The offensive God. Many people confuse boldness and rudeness. They think that to be bold is to be rude. If, you, if you're bold, you know, many Christians, well, they, they're proclaiming boldly the gospel but in reality, they're proclaiming rudely the gospel. God's not rude or unmannerly. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says. He's, or 13, rather. He's not rude or un, unmannerly. Praise God. Now, uh, in Proverbs chapter 12, verse number 16, a fool's wrath is known at once... But a prudent man covers shame. Since God knows everything about you, many people think God delights in exposing you, exposing your flaws. And they think that by exposing your flaws that God's going to make you want to do right. But let me tell you, that's not how it works. When he exposes your flaws, or if he exposes your flaws, then the, the only thing it's going to make you want to do is reject him. It's going to make you angry with him. It's going to make you bitter towards him. How many people are angry and bitter because 
They think God exposed their flaws. Did you know, let, let me just throw something out for you to think about for a little bit. If you commit a crime, nobody knows about it, you know. And you, you think, I got away with that. Nobody, nobody knows what I did. Did you know God doesn't want you to get caught? God's not hoping you'll get caught. Now, the devil, which is the one who got you to do it in the first place, he wants you to get caught. He'll tempt you to do it, put the idea in your head, give you the details of how to carry this out, everything, and then he'll expose you. God doesn't want you to get caught. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. He sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. See, he didn't come to condemn you. He didn't come to convict you of your crime. He didn't come to expose your crime. God would much rather you repent. He would much rather you change your mind and turn away from the things you've been doing than to expose you. He doesn't really want you to get caught. Praise God. Revelation chapter 3, verse number 18 says this. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. And then notice this right here. That the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Wow. This is what Jesus is saying. He says that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. He, he counsels you, buy gold from me, buy garments from me. Let, let me do this for you so that we don't have to expose the shame of your nakedness, the shame of what you did. Praise God. Turn, turn to me so that your shame doesn't have to be seen. Now, I've had people come into my office at times. The Lord taught me this out of, out of this passage of Scripture, Revelation chapter 3. He taught me this uh, a long time ago. And, you know, the, the, I've had people come into my office and tell me uh, of things that they did that they were ashamed of. You know, I'm their pastor. They want to, they want to tell me about what they, what they have done. And the first question I ask them is, how many people know about this? Well, I really haven't told anybody. I said, well, okay, let's keep it that way then. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. He said that the shame of your nakedness, the shame of what you have done, so that it doesn't need to be seen by the whole world. Let me help you fix it, but we don't have to tell the whole world. You know, we, we need to correct your, your behavior. We need to correct the thing that you have done and the way that you've been living, and we need to correct that, but we don't need to tell everybody. Praise God. And if they say, well, I just told so-and-so, I said, well, let's, let's try to keep the lid on that then, you know. Let, let's try to not let everybody know what you did. Praise God. So when you come in my office and you, you say, well, you've done something that you're ashamed of, I'm not going to say, okay, we need to confess that before the church. That's not what we're going to do. Now, if the whole church already knows, we might have to deal with it a little bit different. But if the whole church doesn't know, then let's keep it that way. Praise God. Praise God. Now, it says, I counsel you to buy gold refined in the fire that you may be rich 
and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. Praise God. What about this one? He's the great list keeper. You know, that God has delegated an angel to you to write down everything you've done wrong. A lot of people see God that way. They think that's what's going on. They, they think, that, they think that, that that's Peter's job right now, you know, that, that Peter is sitting in heaven. Well, let me tell you, first of all, Peter is not an angel. Uh, you know, actually, that would be a demotion. If we became angels after we died, we, that would be a demotion. That's a whole other uh, lesson all put together. The Bible says that there are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for us who are heirs of salvation. So you don't become an angel when you die. That's, a, that's for another day. But, uh, but anyway... It is not Peter's job to sit there looking down and, you know, he's not sitting at a, at a desk with monitors where he sees every move you make and he writes down everything you do. You know, one of the things that there, there, uh, there were some tracks. Uh, who knows what, what I mean when I say, when I talk about a track, the, the little pamphlets that you hand out when you uh, are sharing the gospel with people, you give them a tract to read. And, and it, there, there's a tract that became quite famous, and uh, it was called This Is Your Life. And the guy died, and he went to heaven, and he's, uh, you know, uh, it was in question whether he was going to stay or not, but, you know, he's, he's standing there at the pearly gates, and they they pull down the big screen and start the movie and it shows, you know, there's, there's this move. This was your life. Remember when you did this, you said this off-colored thing to, uh, you know, to this person and you laughed at their dirty joke and, and you cussed somebody out and you, um, you know, you stole a piece of bubble gum when you were a kid and, you know, and, and, it's got all of these events of your life, and then it came, you were in church, and the preacher gave an invitation, and you did not respond, even though the Spirit of God was drawing you to come to Christ, but you didn't respond. You sat there and, and didn't come, and then that night, you were in a car wreck, and, and uh, you know, and now you're standing at the pearly gates watching, this is your life. And this is what this track was all about. No wonder people think God really wants to expose everything I've ever done wrong. He's, he's the great list keeper. He's keeping a record. You know, and I always say like this, God's not Santa Claus. You know, he's making a list. He's checking it twice to see if you've been naughty or nice. You know, God's not Santa Claus, and he's not, the, the list doesn't exist. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 19, it says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing. Now, where imputing means counting up, to keeping track of, keeping a record of their trespasses, to them and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So who's he talking about? He's talking about unbelievers, and he says God is not counting up their trespasses against them. Now, get this. Some people would say, okay, yeah, God's not counting their trespasses of unbelievers. But once you accept Jesus as your Savior, he starts the book on you. I think, now, how ridiculous is that? To think that the, when I was the devil's kid, he wasn't counting. But now that I'm his kid, he starts counting. You know, when, when I was serving the devil, 
He didn't count my trespasses against me. But once I accepted Jesus as my Savior, he started counting every single thing. Now, what a terrible reputation that we've given God. You know, the thing I see in the character of God is, if anything, he treats his children better than the devil's kids. Praise God. Some see him as the condemning God. We quoted this earlier, John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Do you realize that Jesus came into the world as the express image of the Father? In other words, he said this. He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And so he's, he's telling us whatever I am like, that's what Father's like. He says, I only do what I see my father do. I only say what I hear my father say. And so whatever you see in me, this is Jesus saying, whatever you see in me, this is what father's like. And here he says that God, he says, God didn't send me into the world to condemn the world. So if Father is a condemning Father, then Jesus would have said, God sent me into the world to condemn you. But that's not what he said. He said, God didn't send me to condemn you. God did not send me to condemn you. But that the world through me might be saved. Praise God. Praise God. You see, some see him, I'm just going to read these others and, and uh, hit this very quickly, and we'll come back and hit some of these again with, with, in more detail uh, another day. But notice this, some see him as the proud God. The Bible says pride goes before downfall. I don't think he's a proud God. Some see him as the needy God, like he needs to be worshipped. Oh, we need to worship him because he needs to be worshipped. Why did I worship him? Not because he needs to be worshipped. I worship him because I need to worship him, and I want to worship him. I can't help but worship him when I know him. Not because he's needing to be worshipped. Some see him as the angry God. We read a scripture already says he's slow to anger. Another passage says he does not keep his anger forever. Praise God. In fact, there's a passage, I'll bring this out next time I talk about this. But there's another passage that... that uh, uh, Said he, he swore he would not be angry with us. So why do we see him as always being angry? Some see him as the terrible God. Well, really, that word terrible, uh, it, it really means an awesome, awe-striking God. And so in that case, if we define terrible Correctly, he is a terrible God. He is an awesome, awe-striking God. But he's not terrible in the sense that he's bad. Some see him as the distant God, like he's out there, away, you know, the man upstairs. The, the big guy in the sky, you know. The un, how about this one? Untrustworthy. You can't trust him with anything. You know. The disappointed God. Well, I know God's disappointed with me. After all, after what Jesus did, and now the way I've done, I know he's disappointed at me. 
And they see God as being so disappointed. How about this one? The disinterested God. God doesn't care about anything that, that's going on in your life. He's not interested in that. He don't have, well, you know, well, I know you're busy, God. You know, and I know you got a lot to do trying to keep the world going and everything. But, uh, you know, especially, with, you know, especially with the pandemic. You know, I know you're really busy dealing with that. But I just come, you know, I don't want to ask too much. I just want to ask this little bit. Just this, you know, and the only reason I'm doing this is because I'm desperate. I don't know where else to turn but to you. And he says, come back, let's see, let's make an appointment. Uh, and that's how people see God. I don't want much. But you see, the incorrect reputation that we have given God, and I'm talking about religion, re that religious people have given to God has turned many a person away from God. And because many people think that all that came right out of the Bible, you know, Therefore, they're not interested in the Bible. They're not interested in God. They're not interested in, in, in the things of God. So we have a job to do to correct the reputation of our Father. Praise God. And what are we going to do? Because it's, it's being challenged. It's being challenged by religious people. So what do, what do we do when we're challenged? We double down. So, now you know the answer, so let's ask the question again. What do we do when we're challenged? Double down. Double down. Praise God. Let's say it again with a little more enthusiasm. What do we do when we're challenged? Double we double down, yes. Praise God. Praise God. Well, if you're here today and you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I came today to tell you that he's been misrepresented. Actually, that's where the word rep, represented and reputation have the same root. Represented and reputation. You, can you see that? You the, the very same root. And because he has had a wrong rep, representation, because we have wrongly represented him, there are many people that refuse to accept Jesus as their Savior to have anything to do with God. But I'm here to tell you today that all of those things that we thought God was like that are, you know, things that we wouldn't like anybody that's like that. We, we wouldn't want to associate with someone that's like that. Well, I got to tell you that that's a wrong reputation. God didn't earn that reputation. Religious people gave him that reputation. But his own reputation is he so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. And whoever believes upon him would not perish. And it was for your benefit, not his. Praise God. He was unwilling that you would perish. But his will was that you begin to see him as he truly is. Praise God. And for you to know him, he wants you to know his ways, not just see his acts. He wants you to know why he does what he does. He wants you to know why he sent Jesus into the world. He wants you to know why he has certain instructions for your life because it's for your benefit, it's for your good. Praise God, not for his. 
not to appease Him. Many people are trying to appease God. But He's already been appeased by the blood of Jesus, which He gave for you. So if you have never seen God in that light as we have presented Him today, but you see Him and you say, now, now that's a God I could actually follow. That's a God I could actually turn to. That's a God I can actually trust. That's a God that I could trust with my for my salvation. That's the God we want to present to you. And he said this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Praise God. Praise God. So if you're here in this room today, or if you're watching me online, I'm going to lead a prayer, and I'd like everybody to join in this prayer. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, and you mean what you say when you repeat this prayer, when we get to the end of it and we say amen, that means so be it. And at that moment, if you mean what you have just said, praise God, now, if you don't mean it, nothing's going to happen. But if you mean what you said, you will at that exact moment be saved. Praise God. So let's say this together. Say, God in heaven, I thank you that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for me, to pay for all of my sins, so that I wouldn't have to pay that penalty. Father, you raised him from the dead so that I could have new life. Right now, I choose Jesus to be my Savior. I trust you, Jesus, with my eternal salvation. Thank you for saving me. Be my Lord. Here we go. Amen. We value you, and we want to hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website, and we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus, and I want to encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us, and remember that God is madly in love with you.